Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Hey, Solvable listeners, we are hard at work on new episodes of the show, but this week we wanted to bring you something special that I am very excited about. It's a sneak peek of Pushkin's newest show, Be Anti-Racist, with Ibram X. Kendi. You may have heard of Dr. Kendi from his most recent nonfiction works such as Stamped and How to Be an Anti-Racist, but for those of you who haven't heard of him, he is not only an author, but professor, activist, and historian of race and discriminatory policy. At 34, he was the youngest person ever to win the National Book Award for nonfiction. I personally find his writing very approachable and his concepts of recognizing the assumptions of racism in ourselves easily digestible. He not only discusses the basics of bias and anti-racism, but also provides optimistic solutions to fix our broken system, which is what we love here at Solvable. On his new show, Be Anti-Racist, Dr. Kendi is continuing these necessary discussions on policies and practices that sustain injustice in our society and how we can dismantle racism and build a just, equitable world. His guests will include Julian Castro, Jamel Hill, Don Lemon, Heather C. McGee, Mariam Kaba, and many more. Today, we're sharing an excerpt of an interview with Rebecca Coakley, one of the country's leading voices on disability rights. Dr. Kendi and Rebecca have a frank conversation on the intersections of ableism and racism in America, the historic civil rights legislation governing both, and what we can all do to advocate for a better future for people with disabilities. Okay, here's a preview. You can hear the full episode by searching for Be Anti-Racist wherever you're listening right now. Welcome to Be Anti-Racist, an action podcast where we discuss how to diagnose, dismantle, and abolish racism. 
how to save humanity from the divisiveness of racist ideas and the destructiveness of racist power and policy, how to free humanity through the unity of anti-racist ideas and the constructiveness of anti-racist power and policy. We were all born into a world of racist ideas, many of which I myself consumed as a young man in New York and Virginia. Throughout my life, I've had to come to grips with some of the things that I imagined and thought were true about the world and the people in it. And like all of us, I'm still learning. In my pursuit of understanding, I became an historian. I've written books, been on TV, taught at universities, lectured around the world. And the latest step in my journey is to help you on yours, for us to keep growing together. On Be Anti-Racist, we discuss how to make the impossible possible and how to bring into being what modern humans have never known, a just and equitable world. You ready? Let's roll. Conclusion. Finally, come tumbling down. More than 30 years ago, then-President George Herbert Walker Bush signed the Americans with Disabilities Act into law. It came after a long struggle by disability activists to extend the protections guaranteed by the Civil Rights Act. This act is powerful in its simplicity. It will ensure that people with disabilities are given the basic guarantees for which they have worked so long and so hard. Independence, freedom of choice, control of their lives, the opportunity to blend fully and equally into the rich mosaic of the American mainstream. The signing of the ADA took place a lifetime ago, and it was the culmination of more lifetimes of struggle. But what kind of progress have we made? My guest today is Rebecca Coakley, one of the country's leading voices on disability rights. I'm especially impressed by how well she centers race in her analysis and advocacy. She founded and directed the Disability Justice Initiative at the Center for American Progress and served as the executive director of the National Council on Disability. Recently, Coakley joined the Ford Foundation as the first program officer to lead a U.S.-based disability rights portfolio. She's also a California native, a mother, and someone who served in the Obama administration from 2009 to 2013. The day I sat down to talk with Rebecca happened to be the day that the closing arguments in the Derek Chauvin trial were presented in Minneapolis. It was an intense day for both of us. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, how have you been? (sighs) Man, um... Here's a better question. How are you really? I think I'm over overwhelmed and traumatized and excited and outraged. It's this sort of weird mix of all of those emotions. What about you? How are you feeling in this moment? You know, I think I had done a panel at Netroot several years ago. It was myself and a couple of folks from on the ground in Ferguson. And one of the things they said at the time that has stuck with me is that they believed that PTSD doesn't exist because what we're dealing with is a constant state of trauma, stress, and disorder. Wow. 
And it has been probably one of the thoughts that has stayed in my head consistently since then, because the notion that there is a time and a space for recovery almost feels like a luxury. Exactly. It's trauma all around. Exactly. And part of that, even as we talk, we have to be very cognizant about our terminology. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think starting this conversation, how should we, what terminology should we be using when we're thinking about disability or the disabled community? You know, to me, I love the word disability. Okay. I love it because of the beauty of the elasticity of the term. A, it was a word that was chosen by our elders. And it was the first time that people with disabilities formally declared what they wanted to be called. And then in in the crafting of the ADA, the definition is any mental or physical impairment that impacts activities of daily life, a history or a record of such impairment. Mm And so the definition is broad enough to encompass the children in Flint, Michigan that are still several thousand days without clean drinking water and have acquired learning disabilities as a result of it. It's broad enough to include elders like Fannie Lou Hamer who were involuntarily sterilized. And it's broad enough to include people living with long haul COVID that are still trying to figure out how they navigate this space and time. To me, so often definitions are so restrictive. And this is instead about, does it impact how you eat, how you live, how you engage with your loved ones? And the beauty of that is that it varies with each person. Definitely. And and so how would you define ableism? I always go to the definition by my colleague, Talila Lewis and Dustin Gibson that talks about Ableism as a system that places value on people's bodies and minds based on societally constructed ideas of normalcy, intelligence, excellence, and productivity. These ideas are deeply rooted in anti-Blackness and eugenics, colonialism, and capitalism. And you don't have to be disabled to experience ableism. Mm. It's really grounded in the notion of who is valuable and worthy based on a person's appearance and or their ability to produce, reproduce, excel, and the term that they use, and I think is really powerful, and or behave. Somebody might not have a choice how they appear in public, how they engage in public, but the way that society responds to them, if they walk with a limp, if they speak with a stutter, if they use a communication board to communicate. All of those things fall under the behavior piece, which I think is really critically important when we think about what it means to live in society. Wow. And it, of course, makes me think about how people respond to certain people because of the color of their skin, because of the texture of their hair, because of the culture that they practice, because of the language that they speak. And then when we start thinking about the intersection of ableism and racism, I think that's when it becomes tricky for many people, because I think in many ways, many Americans don't necessarily have a clear definition of racism, Mm -hmm. nor do they have a clear definition of ableism, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which then prevents them from understanding their intersection. And so how should we understand their intersection? Well, I mean, they're roots of the same tree. Yes. (laughs) It's funny, I actually went back through your book after reading it the first time, 
And every time there was something there that I was like, oh, it parallels here. I literally like drew a picture of a tree. Thinking about even from the days of slavery and the discussion of things like drapetomania, the psychosis that went along with runaway slaves, the development and frankly still continued use in many circles of phrenology, the examination of the physicality of a group of people in order to determine superiority or not. Many of those things are still common discussion today. Individuals who are slaughtered by law enforcement at least 50% are people with disabilities, whether it be a mental illness, whether it be a speech impediment, whether it be substance use, which counts if somebody is in recovery. Mm-hmm. Even with the Derek Chauvin trial, hearing the reliance on ableist language as a justification for the numerous deaths of African Americans with disabilities. Yeah. But then you have some who say, well, why are we still talking about disability. You know, indeed, the ADA was passed in 1990. Aren't we living in a society where folks with a disability, you know, have rights just as Black and Brown and Indigenous and people of color have their rights? So why are we talking about this? What do you say to those who who make that claim? I see you already shaking your head. Because <laughs> it's the same thing with post-racial society, right? <laughs> It is. We still deal with a 70% at least unemployment rate. Wow. We're the only community that it is actually grounded in statute that it is perfectly legal to pay disabled workers $2.15 or less a week. Wow. Disabled people still, if you're on supplemental security income, you can't get married or you'll lose your health insurance. We don't have marriage equality yet for disabled people in this country. You aren't allowed to maintain more than $2,000 in a checking account in a lot of cases. Yes, the ADA is 30 years old, but 80% of polling places are still inaccessible to us in one way, shape, or form. Progress has been made, but there has never been the level of enforcement that we need to actually see people with disabilities come anywhere near the level playing field that the law aspired to all those years ago. You can listen to Dr. Kendi's full conversation with Rebecca Coakley over on the Be Anti-Racist feed on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. 
From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.